This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Going to chase the American dream on the open range once again. It's episode 416 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. You heard my review of Billy the Kid last week. Time to talk to the cast and the creators. So that means Michael Hurst going to join me. Also Donald DeLine, producer, and then Tom Blythe, who is the star of the show. You've also got... Eileen O'Higgins is going to be joining me as well as Daniel Weber. Can't wait to dive into this new show from Epics with them. Also going to talk to Zach Kaplan, part two of my interview with Zach Kaplan, talking about Breakout, Metal Society, and more going to be coming up a little bit later on. CinemaCon happened this week, so of course I'm going to recap all the big parts of that. Got a very cool spinoff series that's coming to HBO Max. Also going to be reviewing Undone. From Amazon, the offer is now dropped on Paramount Plus. We'll talk about that. So let's get things moving, shall we? Let's talk to the cast and creators of the Billy the Kid series. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Blair Redford from The Gifted, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. On last week's show, I gave you my spoiler-free review of the premiere episode of this Billy the Kid series that is now playing on Epics. And guess what? This week, going to actually get a chance to talk to the cast and the producers of the show to give you even more info on why you should be watching this Billy the Kid series. So why not hear from Billy himself? We've got Tom Blythe, also Daniel Weber, who plays Jesse Evans, which who you'll be seeing more of in these upcoming episodes, and Eileen O'Higgins, 
who plays Billy's mom, Kathleen McCarty, as well. Let's talk to them. All right, everybody. So uh, Billy the Kid, everybody knows Bill the, Billy the Kid, I think. And Tom, I want to start with you because getting a chance to play a character like this, man, had to be pretty exciting. What I love, though, is we also got to see young Billy's story as well. So how much did those scenes actually help you prepare for your part of the role? Yeah, I mean, it's a childhood dream, honestly, James. I When I got this role, I was, my, my inner child went nuts and is kind of still going nuts. Um, even just getting to talk about it right now, like 10-year-old me can't quite believe that I get to do this, but is very grateful that I do. As for young Billy, Jonah Collier is an incredible young actor who has a very bright future ahead of him. And being able to watch him work on the character without a doubt fed into what I was doing as well. I was, I was saying to someone earlier, Jonah has this incredibly mature and like wise watchful gaze in his eyes and watching him work with Eileen early on before I started taking over and stepping into those boots really impacted me because I think whether he knew it or not Jonah captured this part of Billy that everyone writes about in the stories which is this kind of wise beyond his years quality and this kind of watchful very sharp very kind of cynical view of the world and Jonah kind of just instinctually picked up on that and it without a doubt gave me a really nice platform to then take the mantle and continue that quality. Absolutely. Eileen, I want to stick in the past a little bit because this this family's been through, went through a lot. I mean, it was really, really rough for this family with all the struggle, all the tragedy. What does it say about Kathleen? She was able to hold this family together. How on earth did she do that? I would say probably with the, she doesn't give up hope. And I think that's really important to remember. I think once you give up hope, things become more tricky. So she's a resilient woman that like is always, always pushing forward, but also there's necessity to it. You know what I mean? She is, she is the mother of her two sons and she is determined to get this American dream, you know, live a better life and make something of herself. Um, so the necessity of the situation called for her to take on that role. But regardless, I think her strength of character and sense of self and moral compass and all these things just project her forward to the point where she's a complete survivor and not going to roll over and give up, <laughs> considering everything, yes, that does happen. <laughs> no doubt about that. All right, Daniel, let's talk about Jesse and Billy here for a second. Do you feel like Jesse is leading Billy maybe to the dark side or maybe is he just trying to look out for him in the only way that he really knows how? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's I don't think he's trying to lead him to the dark side at all. I mean, I think it is. It's a way of living for him. He doesn't really know anything other than the life he's chosen. I mean, he grew up in the street. He grew up scrapping. And I think Jesse is trying so hard to run away from whatever detritus he has in his past. And, and Billy just finds him. And I think it's a land of survival. It's a harsh world. It's a tough world. It's, it's messy. And, and it's a hustle. There's a constant hustle everywhere and in every aspect of life. And, and Jesse understands that and he's aware of that. And I think he, he's looking for allies who can, he can run with, who, who can you know, be equals with. I, I sort of saw him as a bit of a businessman. And so in some ways, Billy was a really great partner to, be, to have in whatever this ultimate plan would be i mean billy's exceptionally gifted you know obviously as, as a, a horse rustler event cattle rustler eventually with with the pistols he loves sort of the daring do the adventure of the whole thing so yeah i think i think they connect on that that level but then they also have a, a deeper connection which we've spoken about before is almost like a, a brotherly sort of kinship which i think 
it is probably the first time Billy Jesse's ever felt something quite like that with anybody. And I think it confuses him and it sort of throws him off center. Uh, they come at the world with such different moral compasses and that they're, they're constantly pushing one another in directions of right and wrong. Absolutely. And one of the things that struck me too, because unless anybody's really deep in the history of these characters, I, you, you kind of think, you hear Billy the Kid, you hear Jesse Evan, you, you think gunslingers, right? Well, Daniel, I want you, both of you and Tom to jump in on this. Do you think that people are going to be surprised at just how skilled these guys are beyond just being able to, to, to fire off pistols and stuff? I mean, it's a world in which, like, you know, your gun was another arm, you know, it was another limb to these guys. And not everyone carried one and not everyone needed one. But the life they lived where they were roaming around and constantly kind of putting themselves in harm's way, it, they really did have to get skilled with it. And I think also then there's a there's also a slightly showmanship aspect to it, whereby, you know, you get a bunch of a young men together and they're kind of there are no rules for them. I think they get off on on like trying to be the best. There's the, there's almost like a there's a camaraderie there, but there's also a competitiveness there. And and I think something with Daniel and sorry, Jesse and uh, and Billy early on that you see is this kind of this kind of they're always kind of one upping each other. And Jesse, especially because he is this he's, he's the boss, he's the ringleader. But then I don't know, at least from my perspective, it seems like Jesse starts to get a little suspicious of Billy's ability to lead and kind of it, it infringes on his on his leadership quality. And yeah, that's a recipe for then for then this kind of like toxic competition that happens. So I think that I mean, like, sadly you get a bunch of men together and they can't help but show off um so <laughs> oh yeah you guys weren't showing off at all in episodes two and three i'm yeah, just yeah, you know, yeah. not at all no <laughs> what i what i love though about this story is like there's the history aspect of of uh what they're doing with cattle rustling which i don't know if like i don't think i've ever seen on the screen but like these guys were essentially the early days of organized crime and they would sort of they would take cattle and they would push them across state lines and then they'll give them to another rustling crew and that rustling crew would hand them off and they would confuse the branding and confuse where they've come from and so it was like this that's that's the part that i think skill wise that's the, a newer element to the whole the whole thing that i i'm excited I, I was really excited to dive into and i mean i think there's so much more to, to to dive into it and some other really colorful characters in history who sort of helped form this thing called the chain gang which was exactly that yeah, i think it's really important what dan touched on because i think oh you know yes there is the showmanship aspect but i also think they're survivors right then like they're these are these are young men who like you know jesse was orphaned at a young age billy was orphaned at a young age they they end up having a they fend for themselves very early on and they're survivors of violence and and so they have to be skilled otherwise they're gonna die it's it's literally it's like fight off blood you know so i think that's a, that's an important aspect as well Absolutely. Real quickly, Eileen, I want to jump in and talk about regret. Do you think that do you think that Kathleen is regretting leave? Did, did she regret taking the family out of New York, you think? Really quick. No, because he, that's a time in New York where there was absolutely no jobs or opportunities. And actually, that comes up as a nice thing with Billy. And um, because I check in with him and he asks back and I don't think it is true. I think this is a time where it was quite difficult to be an Irish person and an Irish immigrant. So the head in West, I don't think she would. I think Kathleen's one of these no regrets kind of people. I'm just gonna. <laughs> she she just... is pretty. She's just so impressive, but she's so impressive mm -hmm. in this amazing 
female person bursting with like femininity and vulnerability and strength and all of these things. And I will tell you now that Billy the Kid's going to premiere on Sunday, April the 24th on Epics. Thank you so much, everybody, for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, James. If you want to find out why we were laughing there, just check out the video version of that. That'll be coming up on our YouTube channel and you'll understand the context behind that. But speaking of context, you want to get that about this Billy the Kid series, you've got to go to the producers, and that is Michael Hurst, who's the creator of this series. Of course, you might remember him from Vikings as well. And Donald DeLine is also one of the producers on this. i got to say, though, Michael's passion for this really, really comes through in this interview. Take a listen. Hi, James. Hey, James. I hope you guys are doing well. Really excited to talk about Billy the Kid, one of my, I'm obviously one of my favorite historical figures, actually. I've always been fascinated by his story. So the first question is really simple, guys. What made you want to tell the story of Billy the Kid slash William Bonney? Well, just like you, I've always been fascinated by Billy, even though, unlike you, I grew up in the north of England, about as far away from uh, the Midwest as it's possible to get. But when I was a kid, very young, like seven or eight, running to school through the landscape. I I never was running through the landscape in my head. I was riding a gray horse pursued by a posse and being Billy the Kid. It was all bound up with the romanticism of the West, I guess, and and all the myths of the the West and the glamour of, uh, of, of the outlaw. But, you know, Michael Wright gave me the opportunity to really explore the truth about Billy. And, and that was revelatory and really deeply interesting. You know, I wanted to find out was was my idolatry, my worship of, of Billy, was, was he a worthy recipient of that? And I think he was. I, I think he comes over as a complex, rather wonderful, sensitive and strangely moral young man. It's funny because I have the word moral circled in my notes right here. That It's, it's very interesting that you bring that up because, as a matter of fact, I'll jump to that. There seems like there is a bit of morality to him in this. I think people are going to be surprised by that. He's just not just a loose cannon. So how much are we going to see that push and pull throughout the season between that morality and kind of crossing the line a bit? Always, all the way through, uh, because it's very central to Billy's experience and his life. And of course, he, Billy was very close to his mother, loved his mother, and she was a devout Catholic. And she gave him, I think, this moral code that he always had. He always said he was more sinned against than sinning. And I think that he didn't, he w- always really wanted to go straight. That's what, that's what I think. He wanted to live a moral life. For circumstances, many of them outside his con- control, he couldn't. But he did want to. And it's just an, another aspect. You know, it's so easy to think of Billy, and he's often been shown as a sort of psychopathic killer, and not as this man, young man, deeply in- influenced by the faith of his mother, you know, deeply respectful of, of women, which was very unusual, by the way, it, at the time in the West. You know, a beautiful singer, someone who lit up a room, someone, people who knew Billy loved him, by and large. So, you know, he is obviously complex. That's one of the reasons we, we, we like him. But he's so unlike the normal portrait of, a, of an outlaw, uh, as far away as you could possibly get from that cliched portrait. Donald, I don't want to get you to jump in here as well because, I mean, you're, it's hard enough trying to find one great actor to play your lead role, but I think you guys hit the jackpot with mm. two of them. So talk about what both Tom and Jonah bring to their respective roles. And by the way, we wholeheartedly agree. Jonah 
I, I don't know where it comes from a kid that young that he has those kind of acting chops and abilities, but boy, he really grounds the, you know, first couple episodes and seeing him as a child, he had such incredible focus and intensity. It's a gift. You know what I mean? It was just one yeah. of those things we read kids in the United States in Britain, in Ireland, in Australia, and he just came on screen and blew our socks off. Same thing with the Billy role. Uh, obviously, you know, Tom had just graduated. Uh, he went to Juilliard to study acting and had graduated about a year before he auditioned for us. And we had looked at about 400 actors, I would say. Though Tom is from England, he's been living in New York. And again, he just... He has, I, I've said, he does a lot with doing very little. He has everything is in his face and he has such an internal life going on and he studies a character so seriously that it all comes out. It, it, it's just that subtle thing about what makes a really great actor. And he had to hold this whole show together and, and anchor it and he does it brilliantly. Yeah, I think both of them, both the younger Billy and, uh, and Tom have, enormous presence yes uh, especially screen presence and that's a gift that's that's actually right. outside their control and i i learned that early on when when a dp i was watching a, a scene being shot this is quite a long time ago and sort of enjoying the scene and everything i think travis probably was in it and and uh, but he wasn't actually saying anything and but the dp said do you want to look through the camera so i looked through the camera and travis didn't Fimmel didn't say anything, but his face said it all. His eyes said it all. So Tom has the same sort of magic. You know, he, he, he has looks, he has intensity, he has sympathy. He has all manner of powerful emotions without needing to say a word. And that really is an extraordinary gift, especially in one so young and, and relatively inexperienced. Absolutely. I think that anybody could go into the show with a certain preconceived notion about William Bonney, Billy the Kid, just because of what we were taught yeah. over the years in schools or by society or whatever. So especially in these early episodes, do you feel like you could see people's opinions of Billy the Kid change as they watch the show? Well, I hope so, because I think it's the most authentic portrait of a Billy. And in order to do a more authentic portrait, that's why I went back to him as a kid, because, you know, I think you need to know where he came from, what his background was. He was an immigrant family. That's really important to the show. It's a, a, it's a story of immigration as much as it's a story about Billy individually. And so really, I think, I don't, sorry, I don't, but I, it's not educational. Well, I want to say that, you know, I'm not trying to educate people because it's drama, okay? But it's drama. But I think, I hope, I believe that it's a more truthful portrayal of, of Billy the Kid for all its unexpectedness. I think it's more truthful. And it was certainly, I read about Billy in accounts by people who'd ridden with him, who knew him. And all these things came out from, you know, how they loved him. That's great and, and, and very well said. I was just saying when, you know, one thing Michael also does and in the research and he really delves deep, he contextualizes the world. Oh, and, and when you see how brutal and raw and kind of really lawless the West was at that period of time and what Billy was dealing with as a, as a boy, his family was struggling, his father died, his brother died. 
and circumstances encroached on him. And really, you know, he was trying to survive and trying to do whatever he could to keep he and his mother afloat ultimately. So when you learn all this stuff, you're then understanding all the different things that came into play that shaped him into the man he became. Exactly. And you guys will see that when Billy the Kid premieres on Epics on Sunday, April the 24th. Michael, Donald, thank you guys so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. As I said in my review last week, the show runs so much deeper than the history you might have been taught about William Bonney, Billy the Kid, especially after you get through that first episode that really, really sets the tone, sets the stage. These upcoming episodes, I can tell you now, are really going to start to paint the picture even more and add even more intrigue into not just Billy's story, but the story of his family, the story of Jesse Evans, you and the society as a whole around them there's so many ways that this show goes and I do think it will change your opinion of Billy's story if you have one and even if you don't it's going to be something that's really really going to make you think as you're watching it Billy the Kid you can see every Sunday night at 9 o'clock Eastern on Epics you can also watch it on the Epics app as well again thanks to all the wonderful guests for joining me to talk about the Billy the Kid series on Epics up next Going to get back to some reviews. How about Undone? Season 2 is now streaming on Prime Video, and I'll talk about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Karen Ashley from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to break out the rotoscope and travel through time once again. Season 2 of the Prime Video series Undone is now streaming all episodes are up and I got to tell you I enjoyed season 1 so much it was just so beautifully shot the st- it was such a great family story the time travel aspect and of course you've got Rosa Salazar's character of Alma remember in season 1 she almost dies of a car accident and then she kind of wakes up with these new abilities to kind of have a different relationship with time I'm not sure you can necessarily consider her a time traveler per se but it's a different relationship with time she try and she's trying to find out you know what happened with her dad and then she's trying to bring her dad back at the end of season one now does it work or does it not that something gets addressed in season two i'm not here to drop spoilers for you because this thing just dropped recently so i'm not going to do spoilers here but i will tell you this you you are going to get some answers as far as what happens at the end of season one i'll tell you that much things are going to be a little bit different in season two i can also tell you that much as well. The family story definitely gets deeper. So if you enjoyed the family in the first season, you're going to find out even more about them in this second season. That is actually the basis of the second season is unraveling 
some truths about the family and some family secrets that maybe were buried a little bit. And you actually see in the trailer because, and so this isn't a spoiler and it would have been if they hadn't put it in the trailer is that Alma's sister, Becca also has abilities, but she can visit past memories, which you want to talk about a cool ability. That really, really is one. And I got to say that Angelique Cabral, who plays Becca really steps it up this season. I mean, she was good last season too, but this second season, she really, really brings it. And there's so many great scenes between her and Alma in this second season as they kind of go on a journey together to unravel some of the secrets of their family. And some of those secrets have to do with their mother, Camilla. And Constance Marie is another one. You thought Constance Marie was good in season one? Wait till you see the performance that Constance Marie gives in season two. I mean, she's good anyway. She's a great actress. But in the second season, man, she really, there, there's another level to her performance that you might not be ready for. She is so fantastic in this second season of this show. And there's so much raw emotion in this second season as well. But there's also so much true to life aspect to this too. Of course, you you know, Becca has, has gotten married and there's, there's maybe some stuff going on in her marriage that's going to be explored that could be really true to life. And there's certain relationships that I can't get into because they're spoilers between family members that, again, could be true to life. And that's one of the good things about this series is that, yeah, there's a time travel aspect to this. There's all kinds of weird sci-fi stuff going on. And there's fog and a mysterious door and what's behind the door and things like that. And how do you break that door down? And, you know, there's metaphors all over the place there. But there's also real true-to-life issues that you could be going through or somebody that you know could be going through there or that you've gone through in your past that get dealt with in this series. So it is really the perfect mix of this, you know, time-traveling, multiversal, sci-fi type thing, but also a grounded family story as well right up against the two things. And, and it's also about choices, too. Just because you want something doesn't mean it's something that should be done, maybe. Or is it also the fact that, you know, just because something's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Those are two things that really, really I, I was thinking about as I was watching this. And again, it's just this is just, just a reminder of when you do a rotoscope type style right, it looks so incredible and so amazing, and that's one of the things that's done in this series. And and that is, I mean, Hisko Hulsing is the director of the Rotoscope, who deserves a ton of credit. And just all the artists that were a part of this. I mean, you want to talk about artists and painters that were doing that were doing this series that amazed me in the first season. What they were able to conjure up and create for this second season, I I, I don't know that you could have topped season one. And they're definitely close. I'll be honest. I, I don't know if this tops season one visually because season one, I think the the newness of it really, really was special to me. Even though Rotoscope's not a new thing, but what I saw felt so fresh. This is very, very good as well. And at least right up there with season one, if not better. And it just, and again, it brings you that different feel 
to even an animated series because this isn't really, I mean, it's an animated series, but it isn't. It's a live action series, but it isn't. It's the perfect blend of the two without giving you like some characters are live action and some characters are animation. That's not it at all. There, there's it, the depth of the acting that can be portrayed in a rotoscope series, I think is just a little bit more. And you definitely see that come through. And when you have a talented cast, like you have in a series like Undone, that's the thing that can really, really round things out and make this a series that I'm actually surprised we got season two as quickly as we did, given the amount of work it takes to make this show. But I'm so grateful that we did. I really, really hope that we get a third season of this show. And and this isn't a show I think is going to run forever, but I would like to see the story continue at some point. I don't know when we might be getting that, but really, I mean, watch this show. Watch Undone on Prime Video. If you haven't watched the first season yet, it's a quick binge. It wouldn't take you very long to get through season one and get into season two over a weekend, or if you've got a little bit of time to spare, yeah, make sure you put this one on your list and watch season two of Undone because it is such a well-put-together series, and I think you are really, really going to enjoy it. And if you loved season one, season two, you're going to love just as much, I think. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Undone from Prime Video. Up next, The Offer from Paramount+. Plus. Making the Godfather? How about the making of the making of the Godfather? We'll talk about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is David Soboloff, voice of Grodd on The Flash and Drax on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Before you can make somebody an offer they can't refuse, you actually have to make the thing. And that is exactly what the subject of a new Paramount Plus limited series is called The Offer. And yes, you might think that The Godfather is the greatest movie of all time. And, you know, the, there, there's definitely a debate to be had there. But what about the making of The Godfather? How did it come to pass? How did we get from the Mario Puzo novel to this movie being made? And when, before you start saying, well, why do I care about that? I think that the reason you might care is because it's a little bit more to it and a little bit more interesting than you think it is because you all you blend this you know backdoor Hollywood deals type stuff with a little bit of organized crime sprinkled in a little bit of you know shady dealings and basically how much you get attached to one of the main characters in this show and that's Miles Teller's character of Albert S. Ruddy and now you you know that name you know that Albert Ruddy is an Oscar-winning producer for a reason and this is one of the reasons and this kind of goes about his experience in not just making the godfather but as how he sort of came up from almost nothing he just sort of came out of nowhere to become a producer at paramount and it's funny because his his relationship with robert evans who is an executive there is a very interesting one and then you look at when juno temple comes into play here as benny mccart and would he even have gotten anywhere without her? That's an interesting aspect of the story that you might not know. I love that you get Dan Fogler, who plays Francis Ford Coppola, in this too. I, I love the dynamic between he and Mario Puzo in this in these early episodes of The Offer. But then you got the aspect of 
there were some that didn't want this movie to be made at all. And that's really, really, if you don't know the story behind it, that's where some of the intrigue can lie. Like a, like a Joe Colombo, if you're not familiar with, with his quest to kind of not get this thing made. And a very famous singer that I, I, I won't name drop because it might be a little bit of a spoiler. So I don't want to go there and I'm not sure how well it's known. But somebody that's a very well-known name that didn't necessarily want the movie made either in a confrontation between he and someone that is very much responsible for the making of this movie in, in you know, kind of an off-chance meeting, I think that was part of the catalyst of not wanting this movie to be made. But it's amazing how, and it almost didn't. That's the other thing. that there's There were certainly times where this movie was not going to be made, and this thing could have fallen apart. And this early, these are, even in these early episodes, you kind of see how that almost came to pass. Now, is this one of those, you know, Hollywood being Hollywood, you know, Hollywood loves itself so much that it's going to create a story about the inside dealings of Hollywood and, and, and you know, everybody's just going to lap it up. I know we've seen that time after time after time on the screen. And yeah, there's a little bit of that going on for sure. And you kind of have to be interested in that sort of thing. But the interesting part about The Godfather is is the side story of, well, why didn't they, why were there those that didn't want this movie to be made? What was their motive and how far are they willing to go to make it so this movie doesn't get made? And it's also the, the ability to tell the story of, of people like Betty McCart, who you might not know, who played such an interesting role in this entire thing. And, and people also are like, like, like Colin Hanks' character, of Barry, Barry Lapidus, who really was not behind Ruddy at all as far as making this movie was concerned. Well, I mean, he really didn't like Robert Evans. Anyway, that was that's pretty apparent as you're watching these episodes, too. And then you, there, there's some certainly some famous actors that you'll know that are portrayed by other people, which is, which is always interesting when you have to bring... And when you're an actor who has to bring to life another actor... In a real life setting, that's that's always kind of a interesting dynamic at play here. But really, the what this series boils down to is: Do you are you interested in the story of Albert S. Ruddy, and is the performance of Miles Teller enough to get you to stick around? I think it probably is, but I think really you got to look at Juno Temple's character, Betty. It was seriously, I can't oversell that enough. Matthew Good is great. As, Rupert, as Robert Evans. You might not like him all the time, but he's pretty darn good. And seeing the what became the family, and, and Godfather is about family. That line is in the show. And I think it's in the trailer too, so don't, so don't jump on me for, for giving you that. I don't really think that that's a spoiler. But you get to see that there's a found family and those that did ultimately end up making this movie, obviously the, the biggest spoiler of all is that the movie gets made because you know the movie gets made, right? But how do you get from point A to point B, and why is that interesting? I talked about sequels, not, I'm excuse me, prequels, not on, on It's Comics Man, my other podcast that, that you should be subscribing to as well. I talked about prequels, and why are they interesting? What makes a prequel interesting? This is essentially a prequel for the making of the making of The Godfather, 
And if you're a Godfather fan, and you you probably know some of this already, but and and what are the creative liberties that are taken here? Because it's still a TV show. There's still drama. There's still suspense that you have to create. So what are some of those creative liberty liberties that get taken? And how much do you think that these characters are brought to life in a way that tells the story that, the way it needs to be told? And this is a limited series. So again, a limited amount of time to be able to tell the story. So I, I got to tell you, there were, there were parts of it where I was locked in because I think Miles Teller is such a good actor and I don't think we think about that enough. But I also find myself getting attached to some of these secondary characters too, which I wasn't really expecting. And that's why I don't think this is a perfect show. And I don't think that this is going to be for everybody. But I do think that there's some good performances here. And if you're interested in the history of one of the greatest movies of all time, then I think, yes, definitely you're going to like the offer from Paramount+. Plus. First few episodes up right now. I'll have another batch of episodes coming up next week. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of the initial episodes, anyway, of The Offer from Paramount+. Plus. Up next, going to talk to Zach Kaplan, part two of my conversation with Zach Kaplan about some amazing stories that he's got coming out or that are already out on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Zach Kaplan, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So this is a name you'll remember. He's been on the show a couple of times talking about so many great projects. Guess what? He's got like a boatload of new stuff to talk about all at once. It's writer, creator, the the one and only Zach Kaplan. Zach, what's up, buddy? Hey, man. How you doing? Hey, everybody. How you guys doing? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. I, and You know, it's funny. I was looking back to our first conversation. We were chatting about Eclipse. Doesn't that seem like forever ago? A little bit. You, yeah. You've got so many great stories that have been out since then. You've got a boatload of stuff here now. Like I said, how, how exciting are things for you right now? I'm in, I'm having a good time. It's an exciting year. It's nice to have everything come out all at once, albeit it's testing my my sanity and my bandwidth. Uh, you know, I've never been so busy, but it's it's a great problem to have. Yeah, I got a, a lot of great stories that that I'm excited to to share with readers. I'm gonna get you some extra data, and then you'll be you'll be just fine. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you could steal some from the cube. Let's talk about breakout. You're certainly no stranger to telling stories about aliens, port, port of Earth, and, and things of that nature. But there's a seed of doubt here in breakout, which I thought was really, really cool that you did. So how much more are we going to learn about the old ones and just who and what they are? Because I, I think you've purposely not made that clear. Yeah, I mean, I like a good mystery for any story, any sci-fi series. And, and you know, Port of Earth had its fair share of you know, reveals to unravel as you read that. And I think Breakout is the same. You know, we we know that these cubes are abducting only young people and, and young people have been told to live with it. But in terms of what the beings we learn in the first issue, they're called the old ones. Spoiler alert, they're not aliens, but we, we don't know, are they beings from another dimension? Are they time traveling humans? They seem human-esque in form. They certainly, the ship seems to be super advanced, but the materials are all human and earthly in nature. And so, um, yeah, there's a mystery of what's going on. And, and yes, our protagonist, this young crew, will ultimately have to come face to face with what is going on and why why these beings are here and what their their all their true motives are and and how what implications that has for this mission. To to um, the mission is at first and foremost for the protagonist Liam 
to rescue his brother. But they're, you know, they're going to get up there and find there's more going on. Kind of leads me into my next question, talking about Liam, because he suffered plenty of loss, like you said, the loss of his brother and just a lot of stress at this time for, for kids of his age. At the same time, though, do you feel like the same thing that's driving him could actually be more destructive than helpful as well? Yes, I had a lot of fun with this character. And he, I, I think, you know, on the surface, this story is this fun heist adventure. Obviously, there's some heavy thematics in terms of this is an allegory for living in a world where, you know, society kind of says we just have to live with certain things. And, and you know, young people say we don't want to live with certain things. Liam's an interesting character because he's sort of given up on getting, you know, the world to listen to him and he kind of just has his head down and he's had loss. He's lost his father. We don't hear why, but he says he couldn't go see his father in the hospital. So there's a a kind of an indication that it could have been COVID related or um, certainly during the pandemic when he wasn't able to go see his father. And then now he's lost his brother to these cubes. Yeah. It's a very, um, he's kind of lost his way in in some ways. And yet he, he desperately as an older brother wants to rescue his younger brother. But I think putting himself at the forefront of going up to break into these cubes, and this is a global situation that's going on. He's really going to have to ask himself, you know, how do I feel about the global implications and how do, you know, am I going to just focus on rescuing my brother or, or what? I think it's an interesting dilemma a lot of us face when we experience existential things going on in our world you know our initial instinct is to handle our own loved ones first and 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 you know where does altruism come from where does heroism come from what toll does that take so yeah i think it's really interesting not to mention i think there's kind of a duality between planning something planning a heist you know the idea behind a a great high story is a great heist planner, Danny Ocean, or, you know, these sorts of characters. And uh, you can't plan for everything. You know, there's going to be things that life throws at you that you have to adapt to. So being a super planner can also have its drawbacks and limitations. So I think there's a lot of shades. And I really had a great time with the character story for, for this character. And it's a very unique group, too, which I really, really love. Talking yeah. to writer and creator Zach Kaplan of um, so many different books, and we'll get into naming them here in a second that are out. And actually, Breakout number one, I will tell you, is out now. So, Zach, let's switch gears for a second because you've got another book coming out this coming week called Metal Society. So you're back at Top Cow. You're back at Image. So you created a lot of characters over the years, Zach. But I got to talk about Rosa because she might actually be the most fierce and strong character that you've ever created in a story honestly what's your favorite thing about her that is a really good aspect of it there's one thing that i that i noticed in the first issue and i don't know if i'm reading too much into it or if this was definitely something that you did on purpose but since i i've kind of known your work over the years i think it's on purpose so i'm going to ask you about it so the robot that rosa is facing in this battle you don't give them a name so many times in these in stories like this your robots have like not necessarily human names, but names. This is like a name, like letters and a serial number type of thing. Was that a deliberate thing to kind of maybe dehumanize these robots in this moment so there was no kind of push and pull there? That's interesting. Yeah, his name is Wall 421313 or W-O-L-421313. All the robots, we don't get a lot of the robots' names, but when they do have names, they're usually acronyms or letters. 
So one of them, it is intentional. I think one of the things that's intentional that my amazing collaborators, Gil Herme Balbi is this incredible artist, Marco Lesko, great colorist, Troy Pateri, uh, just really fantastic letter. We all talked about throughout the whole experience, trying to create the motif of division. You know, the, the covers have division. A lot of the layouts play with division. The colors look at different palettes for the robot city and the human areas. So everything is about trying to show the, the separation and the divide between these two worlds so that you just feel that they're completely different and they couldn't possibly be bridged. So, you know, the robot design, we wanted, we knew they were going to be humanoid, but we did not, we wanted them to all, no skin, you know, none of the robots have skin on them or hair. They're not like all the same. They're all different. Yeah. And the names, I think then it's intentional to say like the robots have one way of life and the humans have, sometimes there's similarities, but there's a, enough dichotomy that you really feel that there's, there's a difference there. And so yeah, I hope that readers will experience that and kind of say, wow, these are two different worlds and, and how, how they can't come together. And so how can the characters handle that, that the fact that these two worlds are just so, so different. Ask your local comic book shop about that one, but make sure you're getting there right away to ask about breakout though. You want to get issue number two in your pull box. And then if that's not enough, since you're already there anyway, you might as well tell them, Hey, throw a copy of metal society and my box too. Cause that's coming out on a fourth. And also there's some amazing covers. Amazing. I mean, Oh, no doubt about that. Yeah, I'm so uh, lucky on those covers for Metal Society. Yeah, we got some great ones. I mean, first Gil Herman and Marco Lesko have been putting some fantastic A covers in, but then we got a Christina Kalita cover, Alan Qua, Mateus Mahanini, Fernando Blanco, and then we got Mark Silvestri to do a cover, and we got Alex Sinclair, colorist of Hush and so many other great titles, to color that thing. That cover is just, uh, it's limited. It's, it's, it's so awesome. So, uh, yeah, definitely tell your shop what cover you want for Metal Society. Make sure you get them to put it aside for you. So, uh, so yeah, if you're going to want you, if you get a chance to get that one at your local shop at some point, make sure you're doing that as well. Looking out for that. Because, and, and of course, make sure you're following him on social media as well. And yeah. on Substack too, make sure you get a Substack. He's got some really neat stuff on there as well. It's Zach Kaplan, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to catch up. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, James. Always a pleasure. If you want even more of that conversation with Zach Kaplan, you can find it on the third episode of It's Comics, Man, my other podcast that you can subscribe to, kind of part of the Down and Nerdy podcast family, a little bit more about Metal Society and Mindset, another brand new story he's got coming out in June. He'll tell us a little bit about that too. So if you want part of that conversation, make sure you find It's Comics Man. You can always find that at downandnerdypodcast.com or on our socials at It's Comics Man. Good place to find that as well. Again, thanks to Zach Kaplan. It's at Zach Caps with a K, by the way. If you don't follow him on social media. Up next, how about some nerd news? I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Camila Moreno from The CW's Naomi, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Back to the cinema in a big way. It's time for nerd news. And yes, CinemaCon happened this past week, and there was a lot of news coming out of that. But here's the frustrating thing about CinemaCon, and, and I know that... You, you've probably felt this way about San Diego Comic-Con in the past, but pretty much all the trailers and stuff that get shown there, all the footage, it, 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 this is basically, it's not like an in-person type event. It's, it's more of a press event, an exhibitor event, 
and things like that. So the footage just gets shown. So, you know, somebody like me can get their, their coverage together. Now, cards on the table, I wasn't there. So I haven't seen most of this footage either, to be honest with you. But they, they, they say, now, you can see this, but, you know, don't say too much about it. Sometimes you can't say anything about it, and then sometimes you're trying to describe it. And I, and I know that I like to talk about trailers on this show, but it's trailers that you've seen. So you can you can either you know say oh well he's talking about that I want to go watch the trailer and you can do that on YouTube instantly, but in this case you can't do that. So I'm not going to be the guy that's going to sit here and describe all this footage for you because I think that that's heavy handed because you can't see it yet. And we'll talk about it when we see it. So I'm just going to give you a rundown of some of the news that happened at CinemaCon that you might be interested in, and we'll do that because me sitting here describing somebody else's description of footage just seems stupid, so we're not going to do that. So starting out with Disney and Marvel, there really wasn't a ton. We've already seen we've already seen footage of, of Lightyear. We know about that. The, the only really big news, nothing new from Marvel, which was, which was interesting, but we do find out that the Avatar sequel, which is going to be coming on December the 16th, is going to be called The Way of Water. So James Cameron did reveal that. And I mean, that, that title seems to make sense. We've got a bunch of sequels for Avatar coming up. It's been forever. So I think that this one's going to be huge. Is it going to be, you know, near one of the biggest box offices of all time huge, like the first Avatar was? I don't know. I don't know that the hype for this is still there to that level. I think the hype is there. I'm not saying it's not at all. I'm just saying to that level... I don't know. Now, could that change once we start getting trailers, footage, and things like that? Yeah, it could change in an instant. So just be ready for that. But, I mean, there really wasn't a ton for Disney and Marvel to talk about that they haven't already talked about ad nauseum anyway. And, you know, with with release date shifting and things like that, it is kind of hard to talk about it anyway. So I get it. So it was a little bit a little bit light from them. As far as Warner Brothers goes, there was some, you know, surprising yet not so surprising news, like the fact that we're going to get a sequel for the Batman. I don't think that that is a huge huge surprise or anything. All of the release dates were shown for the DC movies. We already know those already anyway. So again, not really no reason to get back into that. Also, if you're looking a little bit ahead, of what's going on. We got we dig the first look at the Barbie movie with Margot Robbie in the poster there and it should be no surprise that Margot Robbie was like the only choice for that role, right? And I, what this movie's going to look like, I think is anybody's guess, quite frankly. I mean, I just you have to go into it with almost like a legally blonde type of situation. And maybe that's too much of a close direct comparison without the lawyering, but you, you just got to go into it thinking this is just going to be fun. It's it's based on, of course, the classic Barbie doll, and who knows what it's what it's going to be. But I just think it's going to be a, a crazy fun movie. And then there was another interesting one called "Don't Worry, Darling," and that's going to be coming from Olivia Wilde. Chris Pine's in the cast: Harry Styles, Florence Pugh. It's this weird psychological thriller where basically Florence Pugh's character realizes her husband's up to no good, and it's almost like a "What would it take for you to sacrifice your life?" type of movie and it's it was described as similar to get out so i think that that could be super interesting and that's one that i'm definitely going to have my eye on going forward now as far as sony goes that's where things start to get really interesting because we do have some marvel news from them we're going to be getting a venom sequel third venom movie i don't think that's a shocker 
I really don't think that that one's really a big surprise because it, it was definitely open ended at the end of the second one. Now the happenings between now and then, as far as Spider-Man movies and things like that, and and spinoffs and all that noise, I think might shape where this third Venom movie is going to go. But there's really it's even hard to speculate at this point because there's any number of ways that this third Venom movie could go, especially with, you know, the end credit scene from the last movie. And does this mean we're going to get a Spider-Man in this movie? I know that's the big question, right? Well, you just had Andrew Garfield saying he's going to be taking a break from acting. So maybe, maybe not. I don't think we're going to see a Venom third Venom movie anytime soon anyway. So that doesn't necessarily exclude him. Obviously, you know, I don't think we'll be seeing Tobey Maguire, and I don't think there's any chance we're going to see Tom Holland's Spider-Man in, in, in a third Venom movie. I mean, maybe. I just really, really doubt it. So where that's going to go, I'm not exactly sure because I think it's too early in the game to tell. But again, I don't think that this is a really huge surprise that we're getting this. The surprise was the announcement of the El Muerto movie. And yes, that is based on the Spider-Man character. And Bad Bunny's going to be playing El Muerto. And you might know the character also is Juan Carlos. And yes, the super-powered wrestler. That is exactly who we're talking about. And normally this is where I'm going to go, really? Really, we're going to do this? Another Spider-Man villain movie or another Spider-Man spin-off movie that nobody asked for. You saw what happened with Morbius at the box office. Maybe a mild success for Morbius, but I don't necessarily consider what we saw a success. But this is one of those times where I'm actually going to go the other way and say this you know, obviously, rest, professional wrestling is rooted deep in Mexican culture and actually Latin American culture, period. So having Bad Bunny in the role, I think, is really smart. But this is a chance to lean into that a little, a little bit while you're also having a lot of fun at the same time. So I think that this is actually one that has a chance to be a little bit different and fun. We saw how fun they had with the Venom movie. Imagine how much fun they could have with this one. Now, is he a villain? Is he a, a superhero? Yeah, I think you maybe call him a superhero instead. I'm not super, super familiar with the character, but I think that, yeah, I, I think you could almost call him a, a, a hero at this point. And, I mean, he does team up with Spider-Man at one point, I think, in the comics, if I'm not mistaken. So I guess you would ne- you would probably call him a little bit more of a hero per se. And again, I'm not again, super familiar with the character. I'll have to brush the up on this certainly before we start talking about trailers and things like that. But I mean, if you look at the other spinoffs, we've got, you got Madam Web, you've got Craven the Hunter. I don't think those are going to be on the fun side at all. And, and there's nothing wrong with that either, by the way. But I think that this is a chance to really have fun with this and maybe give yourself a new hero that, you know, again, well, will add something a little bit different to the mix, and we're not even going to see this one until 2024 anyway. So uh, building up to this, I think, would be a very, very interesting thing, too, and see maybe if we get a, a, a little cameo appearance or something before that. Something else that Sony announced was a Ghostbusters sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife. Again, I'm not really surprised by that. I'm happy because I wasn't sure if we'd get one or not, so I'm glad that we are finally going to be Getting that for sure. I'm really, really looking forward to that. I think that was a, that was just breathed new life into the franchise. But kind of off the off the radar a little bit, 
until now was a movie that's going to be starring Viola Davis, and that is Woman King, which we get a little bit of a peek of that as well as far as the first look photo is. Now, Nicole Brown, who is the president of TriStar, which is an arm of Sony, called this the real Black Panther. It's basically about the Dahomey Amazons that existed in the early 1900s. So this actually, yeah, has a chance to be really cool and have, you know, a, a historical side to it, but also give us a nice, you know, action drama kind of kind of kind of feel to it. So I think that this one, especially you got Viola Davis in a power role like that as the as the as the as the woman king, the title character. Yeah, I think that this one is one that, you know, you want to see Viola Davis flex a little bit. This is your chance to do just that. And we know that she can do that. So great choice. And this is, again, one that I wanted to get on your radar because I think you're going to be really, really interested in that. Lionsgate kind of closed things out for CinemaCon. And, of course, they brought some John Wick 4 footage, which, of course, we can't really talk about. And I'm not going to just sit here and describe for you. But there was a lot of action there. Maybe a little bit of a hint that this is the end. I don't know that they've officially said this is the end yet. But that's kind of, I feel like, what was teased based on what I was reading. We're not going to see this one until uh, almost a, a little bit a little bit less than a year from now. In March 24th of 2023. But, I mean, this this brings so many great characters into this movie. And, and you know, a fourth John Wick movie. I don't I, I, I wouldn't mind going more, but if they decided to end it with four, I, I think that that would be appropriate as well. The big news, though, yes, we are getting a new Hunger Games movie. The Ballad of Songbirds is going to be happening. That's Hunger Games Battle of Songbirds. going to be happening also in 2023, a little bit before that, actually a little bit after that movie. It's going to be on November the 17th of 2023. Lawrence, fa- excuse me, Francis Lawrence is going to be back to direct this one. And yes, this is based on the new prequel book that centers around Coraliana, Coraliana Snow. And I butchered that name. I'm sure President Snow, you know who I'm talking about. He's 18. This is before he's president. And it's basically, you know, who's a songbird, who's a snake type of situation. And I think we know which way he goes with that, at least eventually anyway, in this movie, who knows? And I mean, the book's been out since 2020. So maybe you do know if you've read the book, but again, there's always creative liberties taken in movies too. So there, there's always a chance that this doesn't go exactly the way you think it's going to go based on the book. Also teased at CinemaCon was some Borderlands footage. You got Kate Blanchett, big fire red wig guns blazing. You got, you know, appearances by Karen Hart's character and Jack Black voicing Claptrap. So that was teased to be very, very fun, which I'm sure I, I didn't really have any doubt about that with, with Borderlands, but when you got Kate Blanchett casting, you're like, oh, this is going to be good. And it's going to be her in such a different role, too, which I was really, really excited for. Moving on a little bit to talk about a couple of trailers really quick. I wanted to talk about the second Jurassic World Dominion trailer. Of course, June 10th is going to be coming up here soon. We know the Blues had a baby. The baby's been dino-napped. That's when all hell breaks loose. In this trailer, you've got out of control dinosaurs everywhere. You got people on segways being eaten, which, you know, segway not really made for a quick getaway. You find that out really, really quickly. Not that you didn't know that already. Even Dr. Wu admits, hey, we made a mistake here with what we did. And I'm, most of this is his fault. If we're really looking back and being honest with ourselves, most of this is, is, it, is it not his fault? Because I feel like it kind of is. 
based on the events that happened in the last two movies. But then you've got Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt's characters, you know, just weaving and dodging dinos. And there's a couple of really cool action sequences in this. And then, you know, you've got the OG crew who you've also, you've got Dr. E. Malcolm with a couple of zingers for Owen, which I thought was really, really fun. You know, like making fun of the fact that he had made a promise to a dinosaur. I thought was really, really funny. Then we get to see the Gigantosaurus. And wow, let me tell you, that is a big, big moment. This movie just finds a way to introduce dinos in a big way. We get to see this one in the trailer a little bit. And oh, if and the whole crew is there. And just the the for, for some reason, the look on Dr. Grant's face is always priceless in these movies. Did you notice that? When you just get that look from Sam Neill, like, oh, shit. Then you know that things are going to go really, really badly, really, really fast. So, yeah, June 10th can't come here soon enough, as far as I'm concerned, to see Jurassic World Dominion. We also got a look at the Puss in Boots, finally, movie sequel that's 10 years plus in the making that's going to be coming out near Christmas. It's going to be on December 21st of this year from DreamWorks Animation and Universal. This was also one that was teased at CinemaCon. We actually got to see the trailer for. We get to see a really big moment in the first part of the trailer. You've got, you got, you got Puss taken down, a really big baddie. It's an impressive showing. Doesn't end well. Then that's when you find out the Puss is on his ninth life. You know what that means. And that's when, you know, this takes a little bit of a somber turn. And then you've got, you know, what do you do when this is your last life, when this is your life? And that is where things move forward from there. But guess what? Does that stop Puss from battling Goldilocks and Three Bears Army? No, it does not. Absolutely not. Florence Pugh going to be voicing Goldilocks, by the way. I think that's going to be super fun. And you've also got Antonio Banderas. He's back as Puss, of course. You've got Salma Hayek, who's backed as Kitty Softpaws. They kind of have a cute off in this trailer, which is a really fun moment, too. This is just one of those ones where you, Shrek, the Shrek franchise has always been for both adults and kids, which I've always loved about it. And that this one certainly has that feel as well. I also love the animation style, which feels a little bit different from what we've seen from the franchise in the past. It just looks a little, has a little bit of a different look and feel to it. Obviously things are different 10, 10 years later. So you can do some different things. This one just really, really looks sharp to me. So yeah, December the 21st, Puss in Boots, the last wish. And what will that last wish be? I wanted to sneak this one in, too, because we've got a Harley Quinn animated series spinoff that's been announced for HBO Max. And I'm going to need a hell yeah, because it's Kite Man. Kite Man is getting his own spinoff called Noonans. That's just the working title. probably change. So Matt Oberg's going to be back as Kite Man. You've also got the creative team from Harley Quinn, just Justin Halpern, Patrick Schumacher, Sam Register, Dean Laurie, who's going to be showrunner, by the way, Kelly Cuoco, also listed as an executive producer, really quickly, it's just going to be Kite Man and Golden Glider. Of course, that's his, that's his new main squeeze. They've purchased Noonan's, probably a stupid thing to do. And now they're moonlining as criminals to kind of finance this dive. But it's not just about that. It's about the dive itself, which we've already seen a little bit in Harley Quinn. So uh, I think that this just can just kind of expand on that and expand on the fun. And what does Kite Man do now Kind of obviously not on his own because he's got Golden Glider with him as well. But this is a chance for us to really get more of this Kite Man character that if you didn't already know about Kite Man from the comics, you could fall in love with this character 
from this Harley Quinn animated series. And that's exactly, obviously you wanted Harley and Poison Ivy to get together probably, but what happened with Harley and Poison Ivy and Kite Man, and I guess what was kind of a love triangle in a, in a way, that the way that that shook out was, was, I thought, a lot of fun. The Poison Ivy Kite Man relationship kind of made sense slash didn't make sense a lot of times. So that that's what made that really, really neat. And I think that this show, again, if you're going to give me more Harley Quinn animated series style fun, then I am all in for that. I actually hope that this is the first of a couple of different spinoffs that we could possibly get from this thing. We're not going to be getting the Harley Quinn animated series until this summer at the earliest. So I think it'll be a little bit before we see Noonan's and and we'll have to wait and see if that title changes. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, you want to th- I want to thank the, the cast and creators of the Billy the Kid series, also Zach Kaplan as well, for joining me this week. Make sure you're following along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Make sure you're subscribing to the show. We're now at Stitcher on Radio Public. Follow us on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you go. And, of course, you can find everything at Down and Nerdy Podcast. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine. Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.